Hi, today I have the privilege of talking to uh, Kevin van Wijk. Kevin is uh, an alumni from the Strategic Entrepreneurship Program, uh, which I'm currently doing as well. And um, he's uh, also founder of uh, FICO Movement, uh, which is a uh, foodware company from, uh, from Rotterdam. Um, so uh, I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. We're actually now in, uh, in his design studio, uh, which is also uh, a shop and, uh, and a warehouse. Um, so uh, I couldn't, uh, couldn't ask for a better, a better location for interview today. Um, so uh, without further ado, I'm really interested in uh, how, uh, uh, hearing from Kevin how he started his uh, uh, passion for, for shoes, how, uh, how that uh, sort of developed and how he, uh, he has become an entrepreneur. So Kevin, could you please explain? Well, my passion for shoes started very young. Uh, I played football since the age of six. And when kids had new boots, they need to give to me first. I started touching, smelling the shoes, look at how they were built. Uh, so from a young age, I had something like a passion for shoes. When I was a teenager, I went to sneaker shops to see releases. It was like pre-internet, so before everything was online with raffles. I, uh, I went to shops all around to see what kind of shoes they had, how they were made. But I never had the idea of, never had the... I never saw the possibility to make my own shoes because I'm not coming from a creative background. I was not creative at all at that time. I only did economical studies when I was like a teenager or a bit older. And then when I graduated from university, I started to work for a footwear company. And uh, well, maybe we'll discuss that later, but from there on it all started. There I learned how to make shoes and, uh, and after a few years I decided to start my own brand. That's like in a nutshell, yeah. what my passion came from, uh, from a very young age. Oh, okay, nice. And so uh, did you also want to become an entrepreneur from such a young age? Or? Uh, yeah, I had a few p people in my, in my family running a business, so I always was acquainted with, um, with entrepreneurship, but never like, I want to do this and no matter what, I'm going to do this. It came later, Okay. after in my early 20s maybe. Okay, can you please explain how that sort of, uh, why you wanted to become an entrepreneur? Well, what, bef yeah, yeah before, I, um, before I started to do the university, I did HBO, I don't know how it's called in English, but anyway, I did some few internships in smaller companies, multinationals, because I wanted to know what had my preference. Mm -hmm. And um, when doing the internships, I always preferred to do an internship in a smaller company because I saw the owner or the people involved or the employees had more decision power. They could decide more in what direction to bring the company or what to do. So that was always already the first step to entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. And then when I started to work in this company after university, uh, I thought, okay, if I saw the possibilities and there it really started to, you know, to, I started to figure out how I wanted to do it. Yeah, okay, clear. And, and how has your, uh, so you, you're on the same master program I'm, I'm doing, the Master yeah. in Strategic Entrepreneurship. How, that, how did that study sort of build the foundation for your entrepreneurial career? Yeah, what was good for me to see during that year, that master year was that there's not one entrepreneur. I always had an idea of how an entrepreneur needed to look like, uh, but there are many different types of entrepreneurs with different companies, different backgrounds. There is not one specimen, let's say. So that opened my eyes a bit to have it as an opportunity. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For okay. me, that's it. Okay, clear. And then, uh, yeah, during the initial days of uh, FICO movement, um, uh, can you please explain how you sort of accomplished your product market fit, how that process went? Well, um, let me start first where, where, so I graduated from university, then I started to work two years for Premium Inc, a company in Rotterdam. And when I started in this company, uh, I, was, I did the economical study, and I was like, yeah, I want to do marketing and sales. And I said, no, we don't have any vacancies here for marketing or, or sales. We only have a spot on the product team. Actually, we don't really have a product team now. So I said, no, I want to do marketing and sales. Now, in the end, the, the, the market in which I wanted to work was more important for me than what I was doing. So I decided I always liked shoes. This was my opportunity to enter the shoe market. So I found myself every couple of months in China, Vietnam, Indonesia to visit factories. So I learned in the factories how, shoe was how shoes were made. So that was my first, and I always had some an, um, Italian shoe master with me who learned a lot about, who learned me a lot about shoes. Mm -hmm. So that was my first step in towards researching the market, product market fix, what kind of shoes were made, what, what does the market need. So I learned in the factories how the shoes were built. And then I wanted to make a shoe in Europe for my own brand, that was the first step of wanting to become an entrepreneur. I want to make a European quality made uh, sneaker. Mm -hmm. uh, and the first step to, to decide what the product market fit was, was to make samples. And in 2012, the first thing to start a brand was to sell to shops. Now it's different. Mm -hmm. uh, but then you need to go to sell to shops. Uh, the shops place their pre-orders. You made a bulk order and then you place the bulk order in the factory. Uh, that was before there was really a big direct-to-consumer market. So the shops kind of decided which the demand for a type of shoe or what you, of course, you design with your passion, with your, what, what you have inside. But in the end, the, the shops decided what to launch, let's say. Mm -hmm. So the, it was gut feeling, design, feedback from the shops, and of course, feedback from family and friends. Uh, to show us our first samples at the time. Yeah, okay, clear. And uh, from there you started this FICO movement concept. Yeah. Um, can you ex please explain your philosophy behind the brand? Well, the idea, the idea was we are a product-driven band, so not a lifestyle brand, it's really on the product, so good materials, uh, production in Europe, we make everything in Portugal. And we want to make a dress sneaker. So at the time and still, you can have a highly functional sneaker or a very casual shoe, but nothing in between. And we combine, actually, the things. Could you show me a... Yeah, maybe if, I, if yeah. I can walk, I'll go out of the... So to give you an idea, in traditional shoemaking, they use cork, cork on the bottom of the sole, between the sole and the upper, and it results in better cushioning, better temperature regulation, and we decided to apply it to our sneakers. So that's why I wanted to make dress sneakers. So sneakers were more inf on the crossroads of between a dress shoe and a sneaker. So we call it dress sneakers. That was the idea to launch the brand. Yeah, okay, clear. And you, you made there a, a deliberate strategic move. So instead of producing your shoes in Asia, you went to, to Europe. Yeah. Um, um, can you ex please explain also that, that thought process? 
Yeah, because the um, I saw also some factories which were not fantastic in the Far East, and when you have not so much of control, and in Europe you have three options: uh, Portugal, Italy, or Eastern Europe. And um, well, the factories in Italy are mostly owned by the big luxury houses, um, and a lot of Italians own factories in Eastern Europe. This is more like inside market information. And the, but the Portuguese, they can make small quantities with good with good quality leathers. Uh, they are used to work with Italian tanneries for the leathers. So there were a lot of possibilities there to develop a product. And uh, I wanted to have more control, a better quality, which you can have in, uh, in Portugal. And uh, you are able to better check the quality of your, your products, mm -hmm. of your raw materials. So mm -hmm. that was the main decision why you wanted to be in Portugal, quality and control. Okay, clear. So it is a very attractive market to source your materials from. Yeah, and, and, and to find factories. Yes, yeah. exactly. And um, moving over to your partnering with these uh, Portuguese manufacturers. Yeah. Um, were you uh, already familiar with that market or how did you come The there? company where I worked before was already producing there in Portugal, some styles, mm -hmm. but I didn't want to use their sourcing channels. Yeah. So I wanted to keep it separate, so I called, very simple, I called the, the, the head of a branch organization which was representing all the Portuguese factories, Paulo Gonzalves, and I sent him an email, and I said, hey, I have this project, it's called Vico, uh, do you know any factories? So he gave me a list, and we went all around and visited different factories, and we found one, uh, Abreu's factory, uh, and owned by Miguel and his family, and he helped us out uh, a lot in the, in the early years, yeah. Oh wow, interesting. But I can imagine that you didn't really have a big brand, right? No, so we, we showed him the drawings and he believed in it. So we were able to make small quantities, uh, to be a pain in the ass because we didn't know everything, uh, but he accepted it all. And uh, yeah, so we grew together, that was nice. But um, in 2008, well, do you want to discuss it now or later maybe, the switch to... Um, you could discuss it now. Yeah, so I was, we started, produ uh, we produced for the first time in 2012 and, on the, and all the time we stayed in one factory. So the positive point is that you have, uh, you can have quality control, very good, you know what happens, you know all the people. I even knew the, the names of the people on the production line by name. Uh, we were kind of part of the family. But, uh, after, but the, the, um, the negative point is when, some, when a big shit happens, uh, you need to move factories. Mm -hmm. I don't know, it can be everything. But what happened early 2018, I received a phone call from Miguel and he was saying, Kevin, we have a big problem, we are going bankrupt. So we could not move our production. We had orders from shops coming in. So we, 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 we said to shops, we're gonna deliver you the shoes end of January, early February. So all the skins were bought, all the raw materials were bought. They were in this factory in Portugal, but they were going bankrupt. So we could not deliver the, our sh shoes which were already sold. So that was a very big turnaround for the, for the brand. So what to do now? Because we were part of the family, mm -hmm. let's say, 
they said, Kevin, even though uh, we need to stop the business, we're going to help you. Alre it was already a very tough situation for them. Mm -hmm. But they said, we're going to give you all the drawings, the mold, some hardware and equipment, some tooling for you to help to find other factories. So we, I went around for three months, one week up and down to Portugal to find new factories, set up new production lines. Uh, this time we split it into two factories. So now we're in 2021, we still have those factories and the relationship is good and we know them almost as good as, as uh, the other factory we worked with before. But yeah, that was, that's, but the fact that we always stayed at one factory uh, gave the other factories um, the, sense of, the sense of trust. They knew, okay, because there are a lot of brands who will move around factories because they can produce cheaper elsewhere. Yeah. We don't do it. We decide to, because they have the hand, to stick to one factory. So uh, they knew, okay, even though Vico has small quantities, because we are not a huge brand, mm. uh, we will take on these uh, projects. So that's why we could easily, relatively easily find new factories. And, uh, and in Portugal, the relationship is all about trust, going there, speaking to people. Okay. And, yeah. okay. So um, is that, um, did it take a long time before you really build that trust or? With the new factories? Yeah, with the new factories. Yeah, because you need to go there, yeah. you need to tell them how the product needs to be made. Mm -hmm. uh, they need to understand your signature of the shoes, mm -hmm. what to take care of. You need to understand them. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. And um, how distinctive is your prototype versus other um, shoes? What do you mean with um? So um, how um, uh, sophisticated is the design of your shoe in comparison to other um, shoes? Is it uh, can it be produced in uh, bulk size or can is it a very manual process? Well, the, the shoe industry in general is very manual, is very handmade. Yeah. That's why the choice of a factory is very important. Yeah. They, they need to have the quality level, they need to have the hand to understand the product. Some factories only make very dress shoes, some people only make very sneakers, and we are in between. So mm -hmm. it took us some time to find the right ones, mm -hmm. but in the end we, we found them. Yeah, okay, clear. And. Um, and, and to the Netherlands uh, now, so uh, you first had a B2B marketing. marketing yeah, we, we first were like a B2B brand almost, yeah. but we already saw from 2014 to 2000, end of 2017, there were more shops closing than opening in terms of there were, we had some shops we sold to which went bankrupt. So we saw the market changing, more online uh, purchases. So we already put a bit more focus on our web shop, on our online marketing. But then we had this big um, shitty situation in 2018, early 2018. And then we decided to, well, not from one day to the other, but after uh, discussing with my partner, my wife, Sabrina, mm -hmm. what are we going to do next? Because we have all those orders for those shops. We have no factory, we cannot deliver. Mm -hmm. We are in the middle of it, what are we going to do? So that's the moment where we decided to go to switch our business model from B2B to business to consumer. Mm -hmm. So we were already here in this shop, in this location where we can combine shops, uh, office and small warehouse. Mm -hmm. And we decided to only sell to our own shop physically and online. And the reason we did it is because uh, we don't need to follow the seasons anymore. If mm -hmm. you sell to shop, you need to deliver summer in February 
and winter in August, which is already a bit contradictory, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, which as a result, everyone wants to deliver to the shop in the same time. The factories are full in the same moment. Uh, so we decided to produce smaller quantities outside the production seasons. So factories have a lower production season in October, uh, September, October, November, and uh, March, April, May. So we produce in these times, so the factory can put more attention, produce uh, mm -hmm. smaller quantities, mm -hmm. and uh, it gave us the opportunity to have more direct contact with the final consumer. Mm -hmm. And we, we turned our business model around, basically. Yeah, yeah clear. So we don't need to make, also for the development process, it's changed a lot. Because if you sell to shop, you need to make a huge sample collection, like 40 different styles. And in the end, the shop buys two, and another shop buys another two, and then you pile up. Now we have, upstairs in the office, we have, uh, uh, different samples, 20 samples. When we see that the production, the stock is low, we decide to order new ones or we, did, we develop other ones. Okay, so it gives you a lot of flexibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the main thing. Uh, okay, interesting. Hey, and and uh, talking about your brand again, um, so you really want to realize a sort of moment, uh, movement with your brand, right? Yeah, well, the, that, we uh, added movement to the word Vico mm -hmm. because for us it's more than just about buying shoes and that's it. Mm -hmm. So with movement, we, we, on our website, we also pay a lot of attention to showing where the products are made, by who. So the people who make the, par who make the product are part of the movement. Mm -hmm. People will work there, us, and work with us. And in the end, the people will wear it. So that's what we mean with movement. Mm -hmm. It's like everyone involved. Okay, and what do you want to accomplish with that movement? What is the whole purpose? Yeah, so to let people buy more consciously, so to let them buy where they know what it's coming from. You see a lot of big brands like, like uh, advertise with uh, very limited numbers and stuff, but sometimes we produce like 30 to 40 pairs. So that's really limited. That's really paying close attention to the product and by who it's made. Um, so yeah, mm -hmm. more conscious buying and quality buying. Mm -hmm. And um, okay, really interesting. And, and the type of customer who uh, who buys your shoes is—is is there a standard uh, customer persona which buy who buys your shoes, or does it also vary? Yeah, that's the, well, that's the most funniest thing because before I design a shoe or be, before we make a collection, we have a very ideal image, you know, very uh, between uh, 25 and 40, uh, paying a lot of attention to his clothes and very, being very conscious and stuff. But the fact that we have, we combine office and shop, the good, the positive point is that we see our customers. Yeah. And every time we are so amazed that it's so, th there's not one line. So we have like uh, the sneaker kids of 18 years old want shoes with don't which they are the only ones who have it. Mm -hmm. We have the, the father who starts working, who don't, doesn't want to wear, wear his Nike or Adidas sneakers anymore, wants to have a better sneaker. Mm -hmm. Then we have people from uh, 50 years and older, but often with creative backgrounds, so architects, graphic designers. Mm -hmm. So there's not one, even the same shoe sometimes is bought by totally different persons. So that's the nice okay. thing. Yeah, interesting. 
and, and, and also then the relationship with, with the brand. Um, so you position yourself as a very independent driven brand, right? You, yeah. You're not lifestyle driven. Can you please explain the rationale behind that? The, the main thing is that we don't follow hypes. We want to make a timeless product. So if you see our collection throughout the years, there's a line. If you look at some other brands or some other, you know, it goes from left to right. Uh, and we stay, we try to stick on our path. We develop our own souls. Uh, so every soul, every soul was molded. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can, if you want, you can go to any soul supplier in Europe and you can buy public souls. So everyone can use it. But if you open your own molds, no one else can use it. And we have four different types of souls, and these are the kind of the, the base of our collection. And on, on these souls, we make different uppers in different colorways and, and shapes. Okay. So we don't follow every trend, we stick to our own souls, to our own line, yeah. let's say. Yeah. And again, we are more a product brand than a lifestyle brand. I hope that I explain it yeah, definitely. in the right way. Definitely, really interesting. And um, uh, sort of, um, did you also um, design your shoe in close col collaboration with your Italian partner? Yeah, well, in the beginning we had uh, the help of Patrick. Um, and in the first times with and developing the last and stuff we did in Italy. And now we do most of the things ourselves okay. or by myself, or, yeah. And we have always interns graphic design interns, uh -huh. so I make the sketches and they work it out in Illustrator. I can work in Illustrator as well, but not as good as... Uh, <laughs> okay, as because you, I uh, also read that you uh, acquired these uh, drawing skills yourself. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, so when I was working at the company where I worked, when I started to work in shoes, I learned how to make shoes in factories by asking to people because my background was not in shoes. So I asking, asking, asking. Mm. Then they, I got a lot of explanation and then I thought, okay, I want to learn how to draw myself. So I took in the evening, I took classes in Illustrator to learn how to, to yeah. make drawings or how to make uh, technical instructions for factories and yeah. 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 So that's what I did uh, at the time. And it still helps me a lot. Okay, yeah. interesting. But why, uh, why do you then still need that ad additional expertise from the... Because the, if like a graphic design student or a graphic designer can, can always do it a bit better than, me, than someone who did it for a couple of years in the evening, but someone who studied for it. Uh -huh. and, uh, and the funny thing is they, when they leave here after six months or one year, they almost leave as like, they, can make, they can draw shoes in a very professional way. Mm -hmm. And because I have more things to do mm -hmm. for marketing, product development, sales, whatever. Yeah. So it's better if someone can work on that all day. And they also do Photoshop for the website. They make uh, marketing illustrations. Mm -hmm. They are far better than me Okay. In these kind of things. And, and that's quite creative work, right? I mean, you really, uh, I think in terms of management style, you really need to give them, give your interns the freedom yeah. to do so. Um, yeah, sometimes I have a bit of difficulties with giving freedom to interns, but okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, can you please explain? Yeah, because, because I have a very, sometimes I want to go, let the, the brand go in that way <laughs> and uh, give examples which are, which are already been done or with slight changes and interns can have totally other ideas. But 
I listen from them. I listen to them uh, quite often. I must say, if I think about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you sort of transitioned from a founder to uh, to a manager. Yeah. I'm not really good in managing, so I'm uh, doing uh, Vico together with my partner, my wife, Sabrina, mm -hmm. and she teach kids for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I heard someone saying, if you teach kids, you can always also manage people. And that's right, because she has more patience than me. Okay. She, uh, <laughs> yeah, she can explain things better. So I've, I, I try to explain the things on the creative part, to go the direction of the brand or the decision we make. Mm -hmm. But on a day-to-day, -day, she's better with managing people let's put it in this way yeah more responsible for the coordination of the work yeah yeah but i must say we don't have a we don't really have a very big team we have a flexible team so we have someone for seo for marketing we have the interns here we have someone for the website we have our photographers we always have the the same guys mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. you don't need to manage a lot in a small flexible uh, companies more on a project basis that we work with people. Okay, yeah. So you're getting a lot of flexibility in your yeah. business model. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. And um, uh, yeah, so y you are now located in quite a lot of countries. Your your shoes are sold in a lot of different countries. Online, yeah. 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 Online. Um, so how do you translate your independent your independent brand image uh, online? How, how, do you, how does your sort of whole brand concept uh, uh, translate in your marketing strategy? It's an accumulation of a lot of small things. It starts with having a defined production line. Then very simple things when people ask questions or send you messages, respond as soon as possible. That's one of the main things we do here. Really react fast. Uh, be personal, be available for questions. Try to explain as much as possible on the website. Uh, the fact that we have the shop also makes it personal, mm -hmm. but that's more locally. Uh, so those other things we try to do online, explanation and uh, ava availability. Yeah, okay, clear. And, um, and what are your future ambitions with Vico? I mean, uh, I, I perceive it as a very kind of local brand. Uh, from, from Rotterdam, you, you also sort of want to stay small? Um, no, we, have, we don't want to necessarily want to stay small, okay. want to stay flexible, yeah. that's the thing. Um, if you ask me where I want to go, where we want to go, it's like the path we took in 2018, like become, direct, become a very good direct-to-consumer brand, one of the best, maybe the best, that's what we, want, what's what we aim for. Mm -hmm. um, grow the quantities. Mm -hmm. which also uh, means that we can grow more in terms of uh, product shoots, marketing, that we can invest more in, in these kind of things. Um, grow in, and the, in the end, we would like to have a shop in other countries and in the same setup as we have here. Mm -hmm. So where you have, where you have shop and uh, office combined. Okay. And uh, which countries are performing best? Online? Yeah. Well, the funny thing is we sell the second country after Netherlands, of course, is Belgium. And then the third is United States, where we sell online to. I don't, we still don't know why. Mm -hmm. And then fourth is Germany. Okay. Maybe it's because the made in Europe and uh, that we communicate that a lot, that mm -hmm. the Americans 
mm-hmm. pay attention to it. But that's a funny, uh, funny thing. Yeah. But to open shops, first country would be maybe uh, like Antwerp or uh, first city, sorry, mm-hmm. Paris. Mm-hmm. Those are the okay. first two I would have in mind, but not in the coming two years. First grow the business mm-hmm. and then uh, that's for another time. Okay, and, and why these two countries? Because we, the maybe Paris, because I, my mother is French, I, I have a bit more with, uh, you know, I know the culture good. Yeah. I know some people there. Uh, and Antwerp, Belgium is basically because it's our second country in terms of online, uh, online sales. Okay, clear. And in Paris, you also have a lot, now, not now, but you usually have a lot of tourists, people from outside Europe who can also see your product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, clear. And um, yeah, again, talk about your, your customer. Um, do you, in the end, want to attract a certain customer type for your brand? I mean, you're talking about this, this movement, right? You want to realize. Yeah, um, yeah well, the, the, the thing what learned me to have a shop and to have daily contact with, the, with, the, with customers is to not put any restrictions on that or to put any fixed mindsets. Mm-hmm. So we let that go. Everyone wants to buy, can buy. Everyone, the, the ma- well, the main thread we see in common with all the people have is they buy on product. They buy because of the product, not because of the lifestyle. So mm-hmm. I don't care who buys it. I'm not. Uh, when I started, I was yeah that kind of person, or you know, but you just experiment. Yeah, yeah, and, and why why should I put restrictions on it? Like that kind of person can't buy, that, that's, that's just found out that that's just, that's just stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your flexible uh, business model also works in that regard, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Clear. Keeps your cost down as well. Keeps the cost down, flexible, which helped us a lot in these COVID times. Yeah. Because if you would have sold to 300 shops which are closed and we would have like 20 people staff, you would be in a much different position than we are now with a small team. And uh, another thing we did in 2018 is that during that time that I needed to find a new factories, uh, I found out that my network in Portugal was quite big. So I knew a lot of suppliers and factories. There were quite some options. And over the years, there were some other brands or some other people who wanted help who said, uh, can you help me to find a factory or a material supplier? And my wife, which is maybe also a bit more commercial than me. She said, Kevin, uh, you spend too much time on these kind of things. If you want to spend time on these things, ask money for it. So we decided to start like a consultancy business next to our brand. And it's part of Vico. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we started designing for other brands, doing the sourcing for them, finding other factories. So it it generated a new revenue stream, Mm -hmm. which helps us a lot now since the shop shop is closed in uh, COVID times. And it opened my eyes also because I, I learned how to work with people who had other mindsets, who looked at different at shoes. Some people were new to shoes. Mm-hmm. Other people want to have a clothing brand and want to start their shoe line. But clothing designers look in a different way at, at how shoes were made. So mm-hmm. it took my, I don't know how to say it in English, but I... Sort of opened your mindset. Yeah. 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 Okay, really interesting. And um, yeah, you, you're also sort of a, a really authentic brand. Craftsmanship is really in your DNA. Yeah. Um, 
how does that also uh, translate in how you uh, consult your your customers? So how does that, how does that translate in your consultancy services? Well, they they use our network mm -hmm. of factories and of suppliers. Okay. So they already get a quite a high quality level of raw materials and that's the base without raw material you cannot make a good product so that's the first point mm. so yeah they they make use of it and in a good way as well mm -hmm. yeah and the craftsmanship thing we use it we apply to a lot of other things as well so we are developing simple fact we are developing shoehorns metallic shoehorns with a leather application but that will be made in holland by uh, by someone by real craftsmen mm -hmm. um, so we take into account the craftsmanship on various when we make new products or when we make decisions for photography or, mm -hmm. or whatever. Okay, clear. And um, yeah, you, you traveled a lot to your partners in, in, uh, in Portugal, to yeah. your uh, design partners and uh, manufacturing partners. Yeah. Um, so now with COVID, how do you manage your relationship on distance? Uh, yeah, like everyone. Zoom calls, sending more packages back and forth yeah. with references or receiving catalogs. Yeah. Um, yeah, but we have a like a not new relationship with those people, so it's already established. Yeah. So it makes it more easy. I don't know if I would start a brand now on a distance would be different. I think. Mm -hmm. Okay, clear. Yeah. Okay. Um, so um, I think it's really inspiring how you how you uh, yeah how you've launched your brand and it's uh, yeah you persevered a lot I think uh, that's sort of uh, I think the main message of your uh, your uh, your career so far. Um, so um, I'm also curious what pieces of advice you would give to current entrepreneurs or to current students who are contemplating about doing entrepreneurship. Well, don't make the mistakes I made. <laughs> uh, so when I graduated, well, first, the first thing is embrace the, the mistakes, embrace the setbacks. The, the main thing about entrepreneurship is what I found out for me, let's say big setbacks or uh, to turn them into an advantage. So when our factory went bankrupt, in the end, we found two new factories and we set up a consultancy revenue stream. So that was something good which came out of something very negative mm -hmm. um, and another point more on a personal level is well that's also personal but the second thing is that the mistake I made when I graduated I started to work for this company only work 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 and when I started to uh, start my own business at the time and I had some big other big problems when I started only focus on the work only focus on the result and forgetting about your own personal development so what I would say is keep reading books, try to keep developing yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, you are more than just a person working. I'm also a father, a friend, a brother, you know, mm -hmm. but these things I figure out a bit later. Okay. Um, but yeah, pay, pay attention to your personal growth, not only on the business, but also uh, because if you grow personally, you can have those setbacks. Uh, you can have them and turn, turn them around more easily. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Clear. Okay, well, that's very, uh, very interesting piece of advice. Uh, thank you so much for that as well. Um, yeah, I think I've 
I've uh, nothing more to add actually um, okay. to this conversation. So I'd like to thank you very much for your time and for your uh, very interesting, for sharing your interesting story. Um, perhaps uh, one more thing, how can our listeners connect with you, uh, with your brand? So uh, Facebook, Instagram, at Fico Movement, also on Pinterest, Tumblr, wherever you want to find us, on Vimeo, everything is at Vico Movement, all attached. Um, website is uh, Vico, line in the middle, movement.com. And if you want to contact me, just send an email at attention of Kevin uh -huh. and it will reach me. Cool. And I would also, uh, if I can add to that, warmly welcome uh, uh, yeah, uh, our listeners to uh, visit this store. Yeah, of yeah. course. And they, I'll, I'll show also the office where you can see products which are coming or if people want to know more about the shoe process or other things, yeah. drop by. Very nice. Thank you very much, uh, Kevin. It's been a thanks great to you. pleasure talking to you. Yes, thanks.